Man, I love songs like that that are a little bit of a conversation with yourself. Sometimes you sing a line like that, and I will be content in every circumstance. And you think, but I am not content in every circumstance. So should I be singing this song? And the answer is absolutely. Here's why, it's a little bit like the Psalms where David sometimes has a little bit of conversation with himself. And he says to soul, kind of talks to himself and says, believe these truths. That's exactly what we're doing this morning when we're singing. And we're saying, Lord, I may not be content in every circumstance, but Lord, I sure want to be content in every circumstance. It's aspirational in that sense. There is a bit of a mean streak to the Christian life. Do you know that? Here's what I mean. You got to sometimes take yourself aside and begin to speak with yourself rather than listen to yourself. D. Martin Lloyd-Jones said it like this. Our greatest problem in our spiritual life is that we listen to ourselves more than we talk to ourselves. And good songs encourage us to talk to ourselves. So I would encourage you to talk to yourself this morning about what we have just sung. Amen? Amen. Praise the Lord. Thanks, team. Can we give a round of applause to the team for serving us so well? Man, as Pastor Rod said, it is Connect Sunday. Can I get a whoop whoop? Yeah, there we go. There we go. Man, at Connect Sunday, let me tell you what we're going to do right now, right here from the front. We are going to unapologetically, unreservedly, high-pressure sales, try to get you to join a group this morning. Okay, here's why. Because we think being connected with community is a gift of God. And so we want to encourage you to do this this morning. So if you've never been connected to a group before, will you really listen carefully and ask God to open your heart? And I would just pray that you would let the Spirit work as we really press into this gift that community is. The title of the message today is Symbiotic, and you will see why in just a minute. Can we pray as we begin? Father, thank you for the wonderful truth that you are faithful you keep your promises and what you say goes. You are enough. I pray that we would worship you in spirit and in truth this morning. Would you draw near to your people? Would you speak to us from your word by your spirit? Oh God, we need you today. Lord, these folks don't need a word from Ryan McCammick. They need a word from the good shepherd. So I pray that you would open our eyes that we may behold wondrous things from your law. Exalt the name of Jesus. In his precious name we pray. All God's people said, amen. How many of you have ever seen an image, something like this before? Obviously there are two animals up on that screen. The first is a crocodile. The second is, anybody know what it's called? It's a bird. You guys are brilliant. <laughs> brilliant. Well, my work here is done. It, it's called a plover bird. And what's interesting is that although the crocodile is one of the apex predators, right? It, it has humongous jaws, gigantic teeth. It attacks viciously other animals and has teeny tiny arms. Therefore, the crocodile, although it is super powerful, is not able to get bits of food out of its teeth. Enter the plover bird. 
So the plover verb, what it does is it flies in to the crocodile's mouth and it cleans up after the crocodile has eaten a meal. Both of these animals receive a benefit from this relationship. The plover bird obviously gets a free meal out of it. No preparation, just fly right into the drive-through, as it were. And the crocodile gets to have a good checkup at the dentist when he goes because all of the debris is cleaned out of his mouth. It is called in science a symbiosis, a relationship in which two parties, two different species benefit one another. My question about this particular image is who was the first plover bird that decided to try this out? I mean, that dude is a bad man. He's like, I'm going in there. I think this is a good idea. Well, I bring this up because in a real sense in the scripture, the Bible talks about believers as being in a symbiotic relationship. That is, none of us are just recipients. We are also all givers. We give and we receive in our relationship with other believers. It's not a one-way track. We bless one another. In a sense, you could very much say believers are intended to live interdependent lives. You depend on me and I depend on you. We depend on one another. This portrait is painted throughout the entire scripture. We like to summarize it like this at Gospel Hope. We say the phrase, the Christian life is a team sport. I've said that dozens and dozens of times, but let me unpack that analogy just a bit. So take for instance, golf. Golf is a individual sport. In other words, it is entirely possible for you to go out and play a complete game of golf without talking to another human being or even seeing another human being. You don't need anybody to play golf. You just go out by yourself and do it. And why it may be nice to have a golfing buddy that goes out and golfs with you, you don't need them really. You can play the game alone. Sometimes we think of our Christian lives like that. It's just me and Jesus, baby, right? Like, I just walk with Jesus. I got to get alone with God, and that's all I need. Now, is it true that every believer does need to get alone with God? Is that true or false? Yeah, yeah, I hope you read your word. I hope you pray. I hope you have some time on a daily basis where you are getting alone with God. But I think the idea that Christianity is like golf, is, it's not a very adequate analogy. I would argue that Christianity is not an individual sport like golf. It is much more like soccer, a team sport. Well, think about soccer for a minute. Can you go in your backyard and do some drills, some soccer drills? Yes or no? Yeah, you could juggle. You know, you could do some exercises and get your body stronger. You can kick the ball up against the wall and it come back to you. You can do soccer drills all by yourself, but you can't really play soccer without some teammates, right? It's not really a soccer game unless you have a team around you. And I think this is the vision of the Christian walk that the Bible consistently paints. It says that we're not to live our lives like we're playing golf all by our lonesome, but rather we're to pursue Jesus together with our team. You can't do it in isolation. In fact, there are many, many commands in Scripture that are simply impossible for you to do on your own. Take, for instance, this. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up as you are already doing. Let me ask you a very simple question. Can you do this by yourself? Yes or no? No, it's impossible. 
about this one? Romans 12, verse number 10. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Can you do this by yourself? Yes or no? No. And be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving one another, just as God in Christ forgave you. Can you do this by yourself? Yes or no? Okay, you might have redeemed yourself from the bird comment either earlier. I'm not sure. That was lackluster, but we'll, we'll take it. There are simply aspects of the Christian life that is impossible to do by yourself. If I could say it very simply, I would say it like this. We were created for connection, not isolation. We were created for connection, not isolation. But the temptation to isolation is real, is it not? Have you ever been tempted to pull away from other believers because it's inconvenient? Because relationships are messy. Let's be frank, community is sometimes hard. It is really tempting sometimes to even, you know, come to church, last one here, first one out, and we did our God thing without really connecting to community in any way, shape, or form because it is just much easier that way. If that's ever been you, if you kind of have strayed away from the Lord in some way and felt isolation, that pull on your heart, let me tell you, you're in good company. This temptation is as old as the human race. Do you remember in the Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve sinned and God confronts them of their sin? What is their very first response to that? Genesis chapter 3, here's what it says. Look carefully up at the screen with me. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they knew they were naked. So what they do, they're exposed. They see themselves as they really are. And so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. What did they do? They tried to isolate. They tried to hide themselves from community. They tried to pull away from one another. And that's not the, the whole of it. Not only did they hide themselves from one another, look at what the text goes on to say. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden at the time of the evening breeze. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. They not only hid from one another, they hid from God. Sin causes us to isolate ourselves from both the Lord and from his people. But God in his mercy was not content to simply leave his people sulking. But rather the rest of the Bible is really the story of God calling his people out of the bushes. Come on out. Come into the light. I see you. I know you. I sent my son to die for you. And because of that, you are accepted in the beloved. Don't hide in the bushes. So God says things to his people like this. You better gather together. Hebrews chapter 10, verse number 25. Don't stop meeting together with other believers, which some people have gotten into the habit of doing. Instead, encourage one another, especially as you see the day drawing near. That command of scripture is essentially God saying to you, come on out of the bushes. Come on. Come into the light, come with the people of God, gather together, don't neglect it. Some people do that, but don't you do it, dare do that. You come on out. And God takes it a step further, in fact, calling his people out of the bushes. James chapter 5, verse number 16. Therefore, confess your sins to one another 
and pray for one another so that you may be healed. God goes so far to say, I want you so desperately in community that I even want you to bring your junk to your brothers and sisters in Christ. Come out of the bushes. Why does God do that? Why would God call us into these inconvenient, you got other things you could be doing this morning? I mean, I hear brunch in Atlanta is awesome. Why does God call us to do the inconvenient and often uncomfortable? Here is the reality. Because connection in community is a gift from God. He knows this is for your good. That's it. That's why God calls us to be with his people. God's not trying to do something to you. He's trying to do something for you. God calls you to gather with his people. God calls you to be and live in connection with one another because he wants to bless you. Community is a blood-bought gift of the death of the Savior, and it's one of his richest and finest gifts that he wants to give for you people. You were created for community, not for isolation. Which leads me to my point this morning. We must be committed to connection. Even though it's hard, even though sometimes it's messy, even though it's often inconvenient, we must commit to it. And in this passage of scripture in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, I just want to make a couple observations from it this morning. This is one of the most, if not the most, powerful analogy of the scripture to describe the way that believers are to relate to one another. And the image that Paul uses in this passage of scripture is that of the human body itself. So I want to give you two reasons this morning to commit to connection, Lord willing, from the scripture. And look, I'm not going to apologize. I'm going to ask you to join a group in a little bit. All right, you ready? I'm telling you where we're going. I'm going to say join a group. All right, so here we go. First reason to commit to connection. Number one, for our health. The simple reality is that we cannot truly thrive as God intended us to in isolation from others. We cannot thrive the way God intended us to in isolation from others. You remember the movie Castaway? How many of you have seen this? You, you remember? Okay, so Tom Hanks is the star and he gets stranded on a desert island and he's there all by himself for a long time. And what happens to him? He goes nuts. Because that's what isolation does to you. Isolation makes you crazy. Because you're not created for isolation. You are created for community. God invites you to connect with people. You know why, you know why solitary confinement is punishment? You know why? Because we're not made for that. We are made for connection. And Paul drives that point home here in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse number 14. Look at what it says. Indeed, the body is not one part, but many. If the foot should say, because I'm not the hand, I don't belong to the body, is it not for that reason any less part of the body? Look at verse number 16. And if the ear should say, because I'm not the eye, I don't belong to the body, is it not for that reason any less part of the body? You read that and you're like, no, that's ridiculous. That's absurd. Just because my ear says, well, I don't belong to the body, that doesn't make it not part of the body. 
it's denying its very nature in that sense. Just because you don't like the role that you're given or the part that you're supposed to play doesn't mean that you are made to live disconnected. Paul's point is this. Every part is important, yes, but no part is independent. Every part is important, but no part is independent. He pushes that point down a little bit further in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse number 21. The eye cannot say to the hand, look up at the screen. Can everybody read this phrase with me and say it? I don't need you. Say it one more time. I don't need you. Or the head cannot say to the feet. Let's say it again. I don't need you. You know what that statement is? It's unbiblical. That statement is the confession of fools. When you say, I don't need the body. I don't need the church. I don't need community. You are out of step with what the apostle Paul says here. I don't need you is a fool's errand. Let me give you kind of a silly and ridiculous illustration here. Suppose this morning I wake up and my liver and my right shoulder collude together. And they say, you know what? I don't like the role I play. This, this liver stuff, it's, it's not the best. I'd really frankly rather be a kidney. Kidney role, that's much more appealing. More people appreciate their kidneys than liver. I'm out. Shoulder hears this type of talk and says, oh, I'm with you, brother. You know what's all the glamorous role? The elbow. That elbow, that is a glamorous job. Everybody's always like saying that elbow is awesome. They say nothing about the shoulder. I'm doing all the heavy, heavy lifting. I too am out. And so the liver and the shoulder decide to leave the body and forge out on their own. So they come into church this morning. Do, 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 do. Right shoulder sits down here. Blunk. Liver sits down here. It's like a grosser sound, right? And if you saw right shoulder and liver sitting here on the front pew, what would be the first words out of your mouth? Ugh. I'm not sure. Ugh. L is a word. But yeah, it'd be gross. Why? Because they are disconnected from the... But most everybody in here came in here with a right shoulder this morning. And nobody said, ew, gross right shoulder. Why? Because a right shoulder connected to the body is where it's supposed to be. It looks fine. It actually looks attractive. But a right shoulder disconnected from the body is gross. So let me pose a couple of questions to our friends here sitting down in the front row. How would this work out for liver and right shoulder disconnected from the body? Would they be thriving? Yes or no? In fact, liver and right shoulder would die. Because they're not made to be disconnected from the rest of the body. They would die. They need the other functions. There's no blood flow. There's no oxygen. They would quickly and rapidly die because they cannot live on their own. Now let's flip the tables. How would the body be doing? If my liver and right shoulder quit this morning, how would I be doing? Would I be thriving? 
I mean, I might be alive, but just barely. Right? I'd be limping in here all a mess because these parts that are meant to depend on the rest of the parts are not doing their job. Here's my question for you. Let me put this kindly and it's kind of silly. Are you living like a rogue liver? Just kind of do your own thing, independent from the body, not really liking the role that you have, not really liking the accountability or the dependence that you need on others, not really fulfilling your role, but just kind of living your life, doing your thing. And yeah, sure, you may come into church, but you're not really connected to community. You just show up every now and again. The problem is, is when you do that, you hurt yourself and you hurt the body for which Christ died. We need to be committed to connection for our own good and for the good of the body itself. Every part is important, but no part is independent. You know, Pastor Roddick, Gospel Hope 101, he, he uses this illustration, and I think it's a, it's a powerful one, to, to show us just how interdependent we are, how, how much we need one another. You know, how many of you have heard Pastor Rod preach before? Raise your hand. Very good. All right, great. How many of you think Pastor Rod has the gift of teaching? Raise your hand. About maybe, let's take another poll. How many? Uh, yeah. I'm saying like, like 50 to 60% in this one. So yeah, let, sorry, Rod. Yeah. I disagree. I mean, I think Rod's a great preacher, but I'm not sure what you, what's wrong with you guys. Yeah. But let's suppose that Rod prepared his best sermon ever. I mean, it's just the pinnacle of his preaching career. And he got this thing together. His notes are tight. He's got a PowerPoint slide deck. I mean, this thing is honed. And he goes home and he goes into the bathroom and he locks the door and he looks in the mirror and he preaches his guts out for an hour. Let me ask you this question. How much did that benefit us? How much? None. None. And I would even pose the question the other way. How much did that benefit Rod? Not a great deal. Why? Because God gave Rod the gift of teaching, not for Rod to consume, but for Rod to bless others with. There's an interdependence. In one very real sense, listen to this, Rod's gift of teaching is our gift of teaching. Does that make sense? And Rod doing it in isolation helps neither himself nor the body. We cannot live in isolation for one another for our own spiritual health. Listen, we want you in a community group because this is the simple reality. You are both needed and needy. Both of those things are true of you. You are needed and you are needy. There's something beautiful when brothers and sisters get together and open God's word together and encourage one another from God's word. There's something beautiful when brothers and sisters get together and they pray with and for one another and encourage one another and build one another up. You simply cannot do that in isolation. We want you to thrive, not just survive. And you cannot thrive if you do it in isolation for one another. Sure, there are other ways to connect with other people. I agree with that. But at Gospel Hope Church, one of the ways we want to drive you towards connection is to be involved in a group and really 
roll up your sleeves with a band of brothers and say, I am here to serve and I am here to be served. I'm going to bless and be a blessing to one another. Amen? You need to be plugged in and committed to community because it is for your own good and it is for our own good. Amen? Number two. Second reason we need to be committed to connection is this for our mission. Our mission that God has given us as a church, as the global church, is so significant that it simply cannot be pursued alone. What is the mission of the church? It is make disciples of all nations. Make disciples of, can you say those last two words with me? All nations. One more time, just let that like sink in. Make disciples of Let's meditate on that for just a minute. The population of the world currently is just about 8 billion people. The most generous estimates say that only around 10% of the world's population believe the biblical gospel. What does that mean? It means 90% of people in the world do not trust in the work of Jesus and Jesus alone as their only hope of salvation. Add to this the fact that 40% of the world's population, that's 3.2 billion people, are considered unreached. What does that mean? That means in their language, in their culture, there is little to no church, there's little to no scripture, there's little to no Christians in their language or culture. In other words, if, if the world were to end right now, right now, 3.2 billion people would go into eternity without ever hearing the name of Jesus. 3.2 billion people. Let's get a little bit closer to home. Currently, there are 6 million people in metro Atlanta. That number is expected to grow to by 8 million by 2050. So in 30 years, there's going to be 2 million more people in the metro Atlanta area. Only around one-third of Atlanta metro residents are aligned with a gospel-preaching church. Millions of people in what used to be the buckle of the Bible belt not aligned with a gospel-preaching church. In the U.S. in 2019, 4,500 churches closed. We're still getting the stats from the more recent years. 4,500 churches closed with only 3,000 of them starting. That is a net loss of 1,500 churches a year. You cannot maintain that for very long and see the gospel continue to go forward. What does this all to say? There is massive work to do. We don't have time to squabble. We don't have time to be petty. We don't have time to be about our preferences. You know what we got time to do? We got to be about the mission. And this mission is so vast, it is so big that we must do it together. Paul reminds us of this idea in the passage. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse number 17. If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? The answer is nowhere. Can you say nowhere? If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? A little more enthusiasm, all right? If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? 
But as it is, God has arranged each one of the body parts just as he wanted. And if they were all the same part, where would the body be? God made us all different and distinct because he has a mission for us to pursue together. Think about your own body, like all the diversity. Why did God make the hand and the foot and the eye and the ear and the heart and the lungs? And they're all like radically different. They're all kind of like made out of the same stuff, but somehow they all have differing functions and roles. Why? Because we have a multifaceted life and mission and purpose, and we need all the different parts to do their job so that we can fulfill it together. Some of the parts get a lot of press. Great. Some of the parts don't, but are they all important? Yes. Man, I, I scratch. I mean, it's like a little teeny tiny scratch on my finger last night. And you know how many th- times I've ta- thought about that today? Like a hundred times. I'm like, ow, ooh, ow. It's a teeny tiny scratch on a teeny tiny part of my body. And I think about it because when one part of the body suffers, the whole part of the body suffers. We're interconnected. We're interdependent. We are all important. And we have a mission to do, to function together. So let's cooperate and collaborate and leverage all that we are. Bring it all to the table. Because we want to see the mission go forward. If you're a foot, are you going to do things just like the hand? Yes or no? But that's okay because the body needs hands and foots, right? Hands and foots. It's awesome grammar. If you're an ear, are you going to do it just like the eye? The answer is, but you need the ear and you need the eye. They're different, and that's okay. The reality is simply this. We are diverse by design. I'm not talking about race or gender. I'm talking about God made us all unique individuals because we all have unique roles to play in the body of Christ. This is illustrated beautifully in, you know, one of the greatest films of our generation— Spy Kids. No, that's terrible, Maya. Terrible. Was that you too, Doria? Okay. Church discipline process begun. Right, yeah. This is awful. Two of them in like the same pew. That's awful. Well, the funny thing about Spy Kids is they had this character in there, and they were called Thumb Thumbs. And Thumb Thumbs were like an entire person made up of one body part, a thumb. And the kind of punchline of the movie was this. These things were like, they were totally inept. Why? Because literally they were all, but I'm cheating, right? They're all thumbs. And you're like, oh yeah, that's silly. That's silly because a, 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 a person can't function if it's all made up of one part. It is a beautiful biblical truth. We're all different, y'all. And that's good. That's not like inconvenient. That's a blessing. We're all giving gifts and talents and abilities and makeups and perspectives. And God unites us all together in one body because our mission is huge. And we'll need all kinds of different perspectives and ideas and thoughts and strengths. We'll need all of us in order to pursue the mission of making disciples to the ends of the earth. We are all playing a critical role. Could I say it very simply? Mission requires collaboration. You ever read the end of the New Testament epistles? Almost every one of them end with like this laundry list of names. Why? 
Because Paul recognized that the mission was so significant, he couldn't do it by himself. So you have all these people surrounding the great apostle Paul, the greatest church planner of all time. And he's like, I can't do this alone. I need people. I need God's people to be leveraging all they are to see the mission go forward. Here's my encouragement. Get connected. Get connected with a band of brothers. There's that military analogy in there. Any veterans in here, I mean, they almost always share like, man, when you are on mission with a group of people, you develop a brotherhood or a sisterhood with a group of people. The same is true in the church. When we are on mission together, we don't have time to squabble about petty differences. We're too busy pursuing the mission that God has called us to. Yes, you're different. Yeah, you have different perspectives. But we're united on the main thing, namely Jesus and his work on our behalf and the mission he calls us to participate in. So let's collaborate for the kingdom together. Amen? One final reason I want to close with why you should be committed to connection. And it's simply this. Jesus died to make that a reality. One of the blood-bought gifts of the work of the Savior on the cross was to make you belong. Read this over in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse number 9. Look up at the screen. But you are a chosen, what's it say? A royal, a holy a for his own possession. What do you notice about all of those things? They're plural. They're collectives. Christ died on the cross to make you belong to something bigger than yourself. You're not meant to live in isolation. You're meant to be connected with others. And Jesus died to make that a reality. Look, the text goes on to say, so that you may proclaim the praises of the one who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. So he saves you, he makes you part of a people, and then he invites you to a purpose. Your purpose is to proclaim the praises of the one who called you out of darkness into marvelous light. And notice the way he frames our problem. Once, you were not a people. You didn't belong. You didn't have a seat at the table. You were isolated. You were estranged from God and you were estranged from his family. And so he sent Jesus into the world to say, pull on up a seat at the table. I died on the cross and rose again so that you could be part of a people. Once you weren't a people, now you are a people. You longing to belong here this morning? You long to connect? Jesus died so that you could be part. Jesus laid down his life so that this could exist. I'm not talking about this structure. I'm talking about the beautiful, blood-bought bride of Christ, the people of God, the body made up of eyes and ears and feet and hands. Jesus died on the cross to make a people out of nothing. Once you were not a people, now you are a people. Once you had not received mercy, do you remember that day? But now, through the work of Jesus, you have received mercy. And if you've never tasted that sweet gift of mercy, can I just say this kindly? He's holding his hand out to you today and saying, trust in me. Rest in me. Come to me and you will belong. You will be part of my people. And I will give your life purpose.
I will make your life count. The work of Jesus Christ is not just a then and there message. One day he'll take us to heaven. Praise the Lord, he'll do that. But the gospel of Jesus Christ is a here and now message. It is a message that has implications for your day-to-day life today. So if you feel isolated, if you feel alone, there's plenty of room at the table. Jesus died to make that thing as big as possible. And if you will just trust in his work and pull up a seat, you can be part of the people and you can have a purpose. Simple reality is this, Christ died on the cross. Why? So that he could make us a people with a purpose. Here's what I wanna do in response this morning. Two simple things. First thing is this, I'm gonna ask us to pray together. Then I'm gonna ask us to pursue togetherness, okay? So the first thing is this. Now we've heard that we were created for connection, not isolation. We've read there in 1 Peter chapter two that God made us part of a race, a people, a nation. Why? So that we would proclaim the praise of the one who called us out of darkness into marvelous light. I don't think there's any more appropriate way for us to do this this morning than to do it with the people. I'm gonna invite you in just a moment to gather with two or three folks around you if you feel comfortable with that and just begin to pray that God would help this local body to proclaim the praises of the one who called us out of darkness into marvelous light. Can we do that together? Here's what I wanna encourage you to think. Would you think about our world, that God would use gospel hope to push back the darkness in our world? Would you think about our city, that God would use Gospel Hope Church to push back the darkness in our city? Would you think about your neighborhood, that God would use you as part of Gospel Hope Church to push back the darkness in your neighborhood? Let's just think in those three circles. Lord, would you help us to proclaim the praises by our lives, by our words, by our deeds, that we would proclaim the praises of the one who called us out of darkness into marvelous life. That's hard work. Takes a little vulnerability, takes a little bit of accountability. So let's not just pray words, let's just really lean into that and begin to beg and ask the Lord to help his name to be magnified through us. Can we do that together? All right, break up into groups of three or four and begin to seek the Lord together. We worship you for sending Jesus so that we could be a people. We thank you for inviting us into your mission in the world to proclaim your praises. The one who has the ability to call all peoples and nations out of darkness into his marvelous light. Lord, we just lift up our world today. The billions of people who do not know the Savior. I pray you would allow this local body to leverage all that we are for the sake of the nations. That people will be in heaven one day with you because this local assembly of believers sought to mobilize the gospel to go further. Lord, I pray for our city. I pray that there would be transformation on a spiritual and even social level because your people are being the salt and the light of the world that you've called us to be. 
I pray new people would be ushered into the kingdom of God. I pray communities would be impacted positively with the gospel, that we would be known for our good words and our good deeds. Lord, may your kingdom come to Atlanta as it is in heaven. Lord, I pray for our neighbors. Lord, I pray that these people in this room would be faithful to share and sow gospel seeds among the people that they rub shoulders with every day. And may we do it together. Lord, may we proclaim the praises of the one who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. So I want to invite us to pray together. Now I want to invite us to pursue togetherness. As I said, it's Connect Sunday today. And what we're going to do in just a moment is give you some, some minutes to talk with potential groups. So there's going to be a bunch of people throughout the room here in a minute. They have clipboards and name tags. I mean, they are legit. These are legit people name tags, folks. And they'll be the leaders of the various groups. Hopefully when you came in, uh, you got a handout about the groups. If you didn't get one of those handouts and you want to put your hand up, one of our ushers will get that to you in just a moment. But it shows you all the offerings of the groups that you could be a part of. We have a whole bunch of them. There are a variety of times, variety of locations. Some of them um, some of them study the sermon text that we're studying this morning. Some of them have a curriculum. We ask you to commit to a group for just a semester. This is not a lifelong commitment. They start kind of this week in August and will wrap up around Christmas break. If you've been in a group before and you love your group and you want to be a part of that group forever, guess what? You can. That's cool. We don't care. If you want to leave your group, you moved, your work schedule changed, you don't like those people, that's fine. That's fine, just don't tell them. I'm kidding, I'm kidding. You can go to every different group, that's fine. We don't care what group you're a part of, we just want you in a group. Here's what's gonna happen. There's gonna be some house music that's gonna play. Group leaders are gonna be standing around and you can go connect with them. If you'd like to have a conversation with them, they'd be happy to tell you about their times and where they're meeting and the things that you can expect there. If you have any questions, Pastor Rod and I will kind of be wandering around. Well, I will, Pastor Rod's a group leader. I'll be wandering around. If you need something, grab me, grab one of the folks with the lanyards on. We'd be more than happy to answer questions for you. So we're just gonna take several minutes here to kind of talk with people. On your marks, let's everybody stand up.